You're listening to The Over 50 Entrepreneur, the podcast that's dedicated to the business builders who are only getting started when most are winding down. This is the place to discover how to create more freedom from your business while growing the value of your business. Now here's your host, Rick Hadrava. Hey everybody, this is Rick Hadrava. I'm the host of the Over 50 Entrepreneur podcast, in case you were wondering. And I am actually in Dallas, Texas today and meeting with Gary Black of Black Optical. Interestingly enough, Black Optical actually was started in Tulsa. Gary is from Tulsa, so he's an Oklahoman down here in Dallas. First store at basically Center One or Brookside, if you're familiar with that area. He also has a location in Class and Curve, and his Dallas location, which is his newest store, is in the Knox or Highland Park area of Dallas, if you're familiar with that. I think this will be an interesting story, and you know, I'm fascinated for those of you who have followed the podcast from from the beginning, you know that this is a learning kind of experience for me, but the ability to take your microphone, your laptop, and to go to remote areas. We are here today at Herb's House Coffee Company in in Dallas. Um, You'll probably hear a little bit of the acoustics, a little different from our Epic Studios that you've become accustomed to, but it doesn't take away from the story. And I've gotten to spend a little time with Gary And I think you're going to find his story a fascinating one. A young man who grew up in Tulsa, went to high school, went to the University of Tulsa. And uh, I think as you'll learn, his story into the optical business um, is a fascinating one. And as a fellow entrepreneur, uh, very inspiring as we share some stories. So Gary is the father of four. Uh, been married for 15 years and um, training for, I believe it's his first Ironman. So uh, as he told me, when he decided to go in, he went all in. And I think you're going to find that that's the kind of personality an entrepreneur like Gary brings to the table. It's a strength. And uh, so without further ado, let me welcome to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast, Gary Black. Gary, thanks for joining me today. Hey, Rick. Thanks for having me. So listen, let's let's go right into your background. You're, you're probably a young adult at the <laughs> University of Tulsa. Yeah, um, so, so, and I know you shared some of this with me, but for our audience, how what, where was your career path when it came to optical? How, how did all this evolve? You know, optical started as a teenage job. Um, it's something when I started when I was 17 years old in high school, thinking that I would move on to something else, more of in a creative field um, once I was done with college. But I'm sure as most of you guys know that life takes some unusual twists and turns and same thing with business. It's not always a straight line. So you told the story that that 17 year old, that was Sunglass Hut. That was Sunglass Hut. Yes. In 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 1996. And how in the world did you just walk into Sunglass Hut and fill out an application? How did that? I was a customer. I would go in and I would go in probably more often than I should have. And, you know, whenever you're 17 and not really working anywhere, you can't always afford to buy, buy everything. But you go in and window shop and get ideas you know, maybe every 10th trip, I would pick out a pair of sunglasses or a pair of eyeglasses. So the store manager just said, hey, you're in here all the time. We need somebody eight hours a week. Can, do you want to work here? So I was a little reluctant at first, but then eventually once they offered the free free pair of glasses every year and employee discount, I was like, sure, 
let's do it <laughs> with the goal of only working there eight hours a week. Um, and it grew into a full career um, over 11 years. And so this was at high school and then something you continued into college? Yeah, continued in college. Um, realized I was really successful at it. And I also realized that, you know, as I became a little more mature, um, that I could build a career with that company because they're owned by Luxottica. They're massive. I mean, they own retail stores. They own eyewear companies. At that point, they owned other types of retail stores like Brooks Brother Clothing, Things Remembered. Um, it was just the web of businesses that Luxottica controlled in the 90s and 2000s was limitless. Well, that brings up an interesting question. So if you had all these different avenues that this company went down, what was it about optical that kept you there? You know, I was really good at it. I think, you know, I was just good at working with guests. I like the community aspect of it. Something I've always fed on is be able to have that human connection or that human interaction. Um, the idea of sitting behind a desk and working isn't, it's not conductive to my personality. I like to, to be in things and I like to be in things with people. Um, and that was a way to be able to work in something creative because eyewear is pretty fashionable at that point, which it still is now. I was able to interact with different types of people every single day. But then I also had some great leadership that I think is what kept me at Sunglass Hut. You know, I felt like I probably could have worked for other competitors, but I really liked the leadership I had um, there. And my boss's name is Kelly Fry, and he's somebody I still talk to, you know, not as often as I would like, but we still stay in touch a couple times a year. You know, and I've been, I left Sunglass Hut 13 years ago, almost well, I, 14. I was going to say that mm -hmm. speaks volumes of him mm -hmm. as a, almost like a mentor mm -hmm. to you in ways. So, Very much. So, okay. So you, you were there for a number of years. Um, and it sounds like for all the right reasons, mm -hmm. what happened? Did you wake up one day and say, you know what? I need a different challenge. Mm -hmm. I'm, I think I'm going to go open my own shop. You know, there was a couple things that happened all at once. And something I didn't mention in our car, Rick, is that one, Kelly Fry, my leader at Sunglass Hut, who is still with the company, he moved to a different division of the company. So then I had a new leader came in. And then the only way for me to have some upward mobility was to actually move outside of Oklahoma. And at that point in my life, I really didn't want to move. You know, I um, had a daughter I was raising, you know, I was dating my future wife at that time. So it's like, I didn't want to give up those things for another, for a job. Okay. Um, so, but I also knew that I didn't want to go work for a competitor because um, it'd probably be the same routine that I'm doing now, just with a different pay stub. I didn't really want to go back to school and develop a new skill set. Um, so I knew what I was good at and that was selling eyewear. And then I also met a developer in Tulsa that was building this utopian shopping center. And one of the components he wanted was eyewear. So you kind of put these two things together, something that I'm, I'm good at, um, and you have a developer that's wanting the, the service that I offer that I said, this is the next path. Um, and something you know, you'll probably find is I'm kind of a head first person. <laughs> I get an idea on something and I'm like, yeah, I'm all in. Let's do it. And I'll figure it out as I go. So you, um, really, you really came up against just a unique opportunity for yourself. Very unique opportunity, yep. Because I was in the middle of not knowing what I wanted to do next. Okay. Um, which, which we see a lot of times with entrepreneurs early on in their journey. Um, and, you know, I, I, I want to come back a little bit. You know, everyone thinks that the entrepreneurial journey, especially when you've had success, is easy, right? What, 
what was it like for you going through that transition in the early years? Did you ever have doubt? I didn't because I'm like so confident in myself. Okay. <laughs> so so it'll just figure it out. Like I know, I know going into things, there's going to be challenges. So I'm, I'm like not pessimistic or optimistic. I'm like somewhere in between where I know there's going to be challenges, but I know that I can overcome them. So because really- what we're not doing is I'm not sending people to the moon. I'm not right. curing cancer. I'm not performing, you know, life-saving surgery. I'm selling eyewear. Or even if it's not eyewear, I'm offering a service. Um, and as long as my intentions are right and I understand my customers' needs, then anything can kind of be over- overcame. Absolutely. And I think some of it comes in being a little naive too, you know, not knowing technically how leases work and how accounting works. And, you know, but I think part of that is I probably would have never taken the risk if I understood all of that as well. You can, you can think yourself out of a whole lot of opportunity. Bingo. Bingo. Okay. So let's look at it this way then, Gary, what was the biggest thing early on that you learned from a difference Mm -hmm. of working for a corporation like Sunglass Hut versus having your own shop? I think the biggest thing is I had nobody to turn to. It was just me, you know, at Sunglass Hut, if I had, a question or if I had a problem I was trying to solve, I could go to a colleague or I could reach out to another store, store manager, somebody in my same role, or reach up to my my supervisor and say, let's talk through this. You know, whenever you're going out on your own, there's not a lot of people to talk to. It's probably very similar to like endurance running. It's like, it's you in your mind, <laughs> you know, which one's going to win. <laughs> right, right. It's, it's a great analogy. So how did you how did you deal with that? Because it we talk about that a ton. Business owners, they, a lot of times they can't take it home, yep. right? Mm-hmm. They can't talk to their employees, can't talk to their customers. Mm-hmm. So so how did you overcome that? A lot of books. Um, I'm a big learner, um, and I know that everything I've experienced has probably been experienced by somebody else. So it's trying to find those resources. And the internet was kind of big back then, but I don't think it was as vast as it is now. You didn't have as many podcasts. You didn't have as many blogs. You didn't have as many like online courses you could take. So I just kind of absorbed any book I could. And I also wasn't afraid to ask anybody I knew for asking them questions or like, if you were in this position, what would you do? Or do you know somebody that can connect me with, you know, X, Y, and Z? And I was never afraid to do that. And I think that's part of being a connector is that, I can really talk to anybody right? Well, <laughs> and not feel any shame behind it. Or, or yeah. I don't feel any shame that if I don't know something because I know somebody else has been there as well that can help me learn it. And that's what I was going to say. I, I think, honestly, that's a gift that you have because a lot of business owners don't want anyone to know that they maybe don't know the answer to something, right? right? Like, I don't know what it is, but the ability to connect and ask questions. There are people out there that are more than willing to to help other entrepreneurs. And so I I hope that that's something that our audience is is taking away. Curious, curious, is there a book that sticks out in your mind that you read early on that really helped you? You know, early on, there's a couple books that I used to make all of our new hires read, and they weren't really business development books, but one was by Gene Pressman, who was the founder of Bonnie's, and it was called Chasing Cool, which kind of dives into these these philosophies that a lot of business, especially in the fashion industry, it's all about being cool and like how you look and presentation, but cool isn't what makes money. It's not what helps you scale. And ultimately the client doesn't care about being cool. Um, and, you know, Barney's at one point was one of the biggest department stores in the world. And unfortunately they're not with us anymore because I think they, they lost sight of that Jean's original vision and they started chasing cool. 
um, and weren't thinking about these fundamentals of business. Okay. Um, the other one that was really inspirational early on was called Deluxe, How Luxury Lost Its Luster. And it you know, talks about how products, especially like wearable goods, you know, aren't, you know, not everything that's expensive is really well made and about how some brands can deceive you into, you know, thinking they're a little more premium. They are all with their marketing and branding. And it kind of goes in about building something that will last. You might build it a little slower, but thinking about it as not a quick growth, but as more of a long-term growth, especially in this luxury retail sector. I love that point because today we see a lot of high ticket items that the the whole idea was if we market it at a higher price point, it will look luxury. Mm-hmm. And reality is it's no better than a cheap version of that. And right. um, I know that's not what, what you do. You know, you guys are really focused on quality. Yep. So you have the first store in Tulsa. Mm-hmm. How long did you have the first store in Tulsa and the success there before you decided to uh, make your way to Oklahoma City. So Oklahoma City, we opened in Tulsa in 2007. And then in 2010, so three years later, we heard about the development of Class and Curve. Um, and I loved the modernist architecture. It just looked like it was dropped from outer space for Oklahoma City. At least. <laughs> it did. I mean, Rand Elliott was very forward thinking with that shopping center. So I knew, you know, when I opened Black Optical, I didn't think I was going to expand. I'll be honest with you. I thought I would open one store. I would get it self-sustaining and then I would go back to school for architecture or do something else. But then I was like, wow, I love this project. And if I'm ever going to expand, this is where it's going to be. You know, this is where I want it. This is where I want to open a second location. Um, So I signed a lease and I'll be honest, I did it without, I mean, I talked to my wife a little bit about it, but ultimately I had signed the lease and made up in my mind that I'm going to open a second store without even clearing it with my wife. Well, thank God she loves me and trusts me. Because <laughs> exactly, which is yeah. a very important thing for an entrepreneur. Your, your yeah. spouse needs to be a, a big supporter. Yep. Um, but if I remember right, you didn't even have an employee in Oklahoma City. You were you were still running the show. Yeah. Well, in Tulsa, I was the only employee. You know, one thing I did have was I had a former colleague named Ryan Bowling that lived in Oklahoma City. Um, and that if I was also going to expand, I wanted him part of the picture as well. So thankfully, he also said, yes, let's do it. <laughs> and there you go. And that was 2010. So to, we'll sign the lease in 2010 and then open the store in 20, May of 2011. So any changes? So from Tulsa to Oklahoma City and, and the stores are all laid out the same, but any anything different between the two stores that you experienced? You know, in our Oklahoma City store, we put a little more money into, in, into um, interior design, use nicer materials, thought through, we're a little more thoughtful through the flow of the store and how the shopping experience would be. Um, but it also meant once we expanded, we had to think a little more about what does our inventory look like? How much are we investing in product? You know, what are our costs? What costs can we share among the two stores? And, you know, what things now that we have two locations really isn't worth, worth the effort. It made it definitely made me become more business minded and not just retailer minded. Oh, very good. There and there's a distinction. There is a distinction. Yeah. So so let's let's go forward a little bit. Well, actually backwards, but forward into the story. You then expanded into California. Well, I did Dallas first. Okay. Um, and then I did California afterwards. And originally, there was going to be a very a lot of time frame between the two. Okay. But Dallas was delayed, um, considerably delayed. 
and California was right on time. So it meant the two openings kind of collided. Okay. But your experience out in California was a little less than I think you desired. Yeah, it's, I mean, I think a little of both. Dallas was underwhelming. Our first first part of business was very underwhelming. And then kind of hitting the ground running with Dallas and not realizing we didn't really have the foundation in place that we needed made California more stressful. Okay. Um, and then there was a few resources in California that made us desirable to go all the way out West that didn't really pan out the way we would like. So it just, it kind of created that, that opening a little rockier and we weren't able to put, you know, the attention into it that I hoped. Well, I want to bring that out again, because we like to share, you know, the ups and downs. Yep. It, it isn't all just celebration all the time, but you've had a lot of good experiences. Yep. And I think that you'd probably admit that even though California, did, the time wasn't right, we'll say, because yep. who knows, it may open the door in the future, but you learned something from that experience. Mm-hmm. And if you had to share, like, you know, thinking back to that, what'd you take away from that? You know, there's two, two big things that I've learned. One is to, I need to uh, develop a team earlier um, than, than necessary. You know, don't wait until I need somebody to hire them or to fill a role. Making sure, having enough foresight to say, you know what, in six months, this is something I want to accomplish. In a year, a year and a half, this is what I want to accomplish. And bringing in that talent early. Um, and that's something I didn't do with Dallas or California is that I expanded to Dallas. I hired a Dallas-based team. I expanded to California. I hired a California-based team. Uh, but in hindsight, I probably should have hired a team in Oklahoma, developed them in Oklahoma under our roof and within our four walls, and then deployed the team into these locations. Because we hired talent in Dallas, you know, very experienced opticians and salespeople. We hired, you know, even more experienced people in California. But what makes Black Optical isn't just experience. It's the way that we do business. You know, that's our differentiator. And it takes a little time to get used to that. Um, you know, we expect a lot of autonomy out of our team. You know, we offer some leadership and guidance, but we're also not mapping out exactly what your role looks like. We kind of expect each of our team members to step up into that, but making sure that it falls within our values and what our the Black Optical voice is. And that's really what takes time to develop. Um, and that's really what I would do differently next time. And I probably want to bootstrap it. Um, that's the other big thing I learned is that I didn't, you know, I just, I bootstrapped the expansion of both of them and moving into a market like Oklahoma, that's much smaller to then saying, Hey, we're going to do this in Orange County and we're going to do this in Dallas, Texas. Well, it's, it's a totally different league, even though, you know, the economics, you know, the average income is much higher in these and you have a bigger client to pull from, it's a little different than Oklahoma, you know, where our awareness grew really fast in Tulsa and Oklahoma City. Sure. Dallas and Orange County, you have a lot of noise to cut through. You know, you have to get a little more creative to stand above everybody else or stand at least apart from all your other competitors. And I'm not talking about just eyewear. It's any place to spend your money. Right. Well, it's a, it's a good topic. And talk to me a little bit about how does Black Optical stand out? In the marketplace, you know, we have a. I like to think we have a pretty unique point of view when it comes to eyewear. You know, we're not necessarily always carrying your expected brands, but we do carry familiar designers as well. But the way we present it is not about what brands we have; it's why we have the frames we have, regardless of brand. And then also the service. Whenever you come in, we're not treating it like a medical device. 
So we're thinking about like how you're going to wear your glasses, where you're going to wear them to, um, what are your visual needs? You know, are you in front of a computer often? Are you mainly on an iPad? Are you driving in them? Are you a little more athletic and you need something that's going to be a little more functional, you know, whenever you're moving around a lot. And then we start building out, okay, you know, you can't have just one pair for this. You need two pairs for this maybe, or this is a frame you can wear in multiple situations, but then you need this lens design for something else. So it's instead of just saying, Hey, you know, do you have Barton Pereira eyeglasses or do you have Jacques Limage? It's, it's getting beyond the brand and thinking about need. And I think that's missing from a lot of eyewear. At least when we started, you're seeing more of that now in eyewear stores where they are getting more need-based. But again, 13 years ago, they didn't exist. It was all about logo and brand. Right. You know, do you have Ray-Ban? Do you have Chanel? Do you have Persol? Even if it wasn't the Even following. if it wasn't the right frame. Even yeah. if it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. Mm. So, so I'm curious. And that takes some time to learn that. You know, you have to understand clients' needs and how they... And How they're going to use that. And you've done a lot of that. I, I can tell you've done a lot of thinking around that. And we visited the store here in Dallas today, and it's fascinating. Um, it, and it's high touch, and um, it's a great experience. And so, if any, the Dallas, we hope, you know, whether it's Tulsa, Oklahoma City, Dallas, check out this store if you haven't done it before. I, I think it stands alone uh, from what you're used to when you go get a pair of, of glasses or sunglasses or whatever it might be. I was sitting here listening to you, watching your, your mannerisms as you spoke. <laughs> I'm just, I'm curious. What would, what would Gary do today if he were not in the optical business? <laughs> well, my goal when I'm 50 <laughs> is to go back to school for architecture. <laughs> okay. And why, why is that important? Um, I mean, I've just always been fascinated by design. I feel like it's something that I'm pretty strong at. If you look at our retail stores, I've helped design or co-design each of the spaces. Um, you know, with some assistance in them. I mean, we've definitely had some leading minds help us build out our Oklahoma City store and do some of the initial drawings for Dallas. And if you look at the frames we carry, there's a very architectural element to them in the way that they're built. Absolutely. And I also think like interiors and architecture are another way to connect with humans. You know, it's you use your four walls and people can cohabitate in them. They can learn from them. They can have shared experiences them. So I think it's just a way to like broaden, you know, what really kind of drives me each day. Yeah. Which the, is connecting people. I was going to say the connection, yeah, right? Connecting that we talked people. about. So, so that is the goal. You know, I've, I have about eight years to figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> it goes quick, my friend. It goes quick. I know. I know. <laughs> so, um, you know, we talk about freedom a lot on the show and, you know, entrepreneurs, we know financially they want freedom, but they want freedom of time so that they can pursue those next big things, like in your case, maybe architecture. Mm -hmm. So, so share with us, when I say the word freedom, share with us what freedom means to you as a person and an entrepreneur. Yeah, I think freedom is like, gosh, it's such a tough question because there, there's so many, I see it so many different ways, but the way I'm using it now is that freedom to me is having a team in place to allow me to be home every night with my family, which a lot of my friends that own businesses, I can't necessarily say that. They get to eat dinner with their family every evening, or they get to eat breakfast with their family. Um, you know, I'm Ironman training, which is 12 to 15 hours a week of exercise, and yet I'm not missing too many deadlines at work, and things are still getting done. We're still growing our business, and I'm still home without getting up at 5 a.m. to get any exercise in. So to me, that's freedom. I think it's also you know something else that I've had the opportunity to the last few years is that 
I've started taking month-long vacations with my family. Um, it doesn't mean I'm working any less, but from July 1st to August 1st, I'm doing zero work on Black Optical and it's all focused on the Black family. You know, and that's, that's real freedom to me, um, is be able to have the best of both of these. You know, Very life good. can be, you, and I hate using that work-life balance because I feel like they are so intertwined. But at the same time, it's am I able to accomplish all these things in life that I want to do and that I want to be a part of? Well, I, I'm glad you brought that up because the reality in entrepreneurs that I talk to, there is no separation between yeah, the two mm-hmm. work life balance. It, it's just a matter of where your attention is. And to yep. your point, being home, being there with the family, having those events. Congratulations. That that's wonderful. Um, and I, and I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs would like to be there. Mm-hmm. Right. And, but it takes having the right people, understanding the mission, being able to have a company that can run while you're not there. And, and that's work. Right. And I think that's where you in, you give your team autonomy and, you know, they can make the decision without having to call you or text you if it's not an emergency. But I also think the other thing I learned, it's creating boundaries, you know, for yourself and for your company where you have a lot of entrepreneurs that just have a hard time saying I'm off and I'm done, you know, or this is where I'm going to put my attention. Um, and, you know, I'm guilty of using my phone at home, you know, if I'm playing games or something like that. Sometimes my wife has to tell me, hey, <laughs> tell me, get off your phone and put it away. But, you know, I think it's like the process of what you're trying to get to is saying, you know what, I'm not going to work now. And also saying no to a lot of things. I read a book called Essentialism that one of our team members gifted me. And it's about you can't put your energy out into too many things. You've got to find one or two items that that's where your energy goes. And you, you know, you can grow so much faster and further if you limit your focus. Yeah. And I've learned to say no more often than I probably would have six years ago. And I think that's helped. You know, I know what we're really good at at Black Optical. And if it doesn't fall within whatever our core values are or our brand vision is, then it's easy to say it doesn't fit. And I don't feel bad about hurting anybody's feelings. But I also let whoever we're going to do business, whether it's pitching me an idea that this is what we value. You know, does it fall within one of these six items? And if it doesn't, it's easy to say, not right now. Um, And I think a lot of people do. Not a lot. There's a few people that have a hard time saying no, especially entrepreneurs, because you think, wow, what's next? (laughs) or, Or is there an opportunity here? But again, if I can't dive all in, then I'm kind of not, not going to do it. That's why I jumped into an Ironman and opened a store. And <laughs> I give it all. You know, I give it my all. That's right. And I imagine the experience is going to be outstanding for you. So I'm excited for Thanks, you. Ross. If you were to think about Black Optical into the future mm-hmm. and take the constraints off your vision, like mm-hmm. your unconstrained vision for what's possible for Black Optical, what does that look like 10, 15 mm-hmm. years down the road? You know, I can't necessarily like to say 10, 15 years down the road because it's hard for me to think in those kind of linear timelines. But I think in order for Black Optical to continue its growth and evolve what we do, you know, having our own product line or our own frame collection is a big part of our brand. That way we can control the product. We can control the margins. Um, And when we kind of can identify certain shapes or fits or technology in eyewear, we can jump a little faster on it versus waiting for another vendor to create it. I can see us having more stores. Um, you know, I think if we move into our own product line, we have to have our own stores in other markets. It's hard to penetrate just in Oklahoma and this part of Texas. Um, what I would do differently this time though, is not jump all the way to California. I would really focus on 
the region that we can control. You know, maybe it's going to Fort Worth and it's San Antonio or down to Austin and then kind of spreading out, you know, from there. Um, I think like a big mantra we have in store is humanizing the digital experience. We have a web store and we fulfill and ship classes all over the world. But I think where we do it a little differently is you're not just clicking and buying a product. We're humanizing that experience as much as possible. And it's thinking about, okay, how can we make purchasing eyewear online, which can be kind of intimidating, how can we spread that beyond our four walls and make it a little more human where it feels like you're walking into a black optical showroom? Um, I think those are the three big pillars for us next. Okay. Well, that sounds like some big pillars. Big, <laughs> big pillars, yeah, big pillars. If you had to share advice for entrepreneurs, kind of thinking back on your journey, what advice would you share with somebody? I think the big one, which I mentioned earlier, is putting a team in place before you need it. You know, as you identify a path that you want to go, start building your team first um, because you can't do it alone. You know, or you're not going to have that. You're not going to live the life that you want to live if you don't partner with other people to get it done. Um, you know, you need, I don't think anything at Black Optical would be possible if I didn't have the team around me that I have. I mean, you know, we're still short staffed. I mean, we're still thinking, okay, we need somebody in this role and somebody in this role. And I, I mentioned it earlier, it's like, you know, we hired a third optician in our Dallas store that we didn't technically need, but now we're so glad we, we hired them because we know that's only going to help our business grow a little more. And it's going to allow my team, hopefully to have a little more upward mobility where they can step up and say, okay, now I can work on this project. Or there's some problems here I've been wanting to solve that I just haven't had the time or the resource to do. Um, and now we're kind of, you know, people help you remove those barriers. Sure. Well, and you, you've said this and we talked about it earlier today. You give your team members a lot of, a lot of autonomy. autonomy and kind of that ownership. And I think that that, as you develop that, but it takes leadership to, to do that. So thanks so much for sharing that with us. Well, listen, Gary, we're coming towards the end of the show. If somebody wants to, what's the website? How, how does somebody find out more about you and your locations and what you're all about? Yeah, blackoptical.com is our website. You can also find us on Instagram, which is just at blackoptical, um, or you're even welcome to email me, Gary at blackoptical. Okay. We try to keep everything easy. So it should be black optical anywhere you want to look. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, where'd the name come from? <laughs> um, so if you're in Tulsa, Oklahoma City. We're here in Dallas. In Dallas. Um, you know, check it out. And uh, Gary's been wonderful. He's been a great host here today as I've, I've been here. And we appreciate you being on the show. Um, thank you so much. Guys, remember to check out our website at www.epicsbiz.com. You can find our podcast with show notes and the links to Black Optical, uh, along with other resources, including the Freedom Formula, learn about our upcoming workshops, and we'd love to hear from you. So you can always email us at rick at epicsbiz.com. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give us a review so we can broaden our audience. And until next time, you've been listening to the Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast. We appreciate you listening. The Over 50 Entrepreneur Podcast is sponsored by Epic Business Advisory, where we help entrepreneurs escape the owner's trap, build businesses that can succeed without you, allowing you the opportunity to realize more freedom, think bigger, and pursue next-level goals. Download our freedom formula at epicsbiz.com formula. And remember, we're only getting started.